Good morning and welcome to the Monday Call. I'm Stefan Clark, Chief Client Officer at NZ Funds. Retirement can be the start of a new fulfilling chapter. We have time to do the things that are important to us, but to make the most of it, we need to prepare ourselves psychologically and financially. Nigel Ladder recently joined NZ Funds for a roadshow across New Zealand exploring this topic. As a clinical psychologist, author and documentary maker, Nigel has been helping Kiwis navigate life's big questions for over two decades. Today, we'll be discussing how best to prepare yourself for your golden years and the barriers that humans put up that hold them back. We'll also be covering goal setting and the benefits of getting help in order to achieve those goals, as well as tips for managing the increasingly noisy and chaotic world in which we live. Welcome, Nigel. It's really great to have you here. I'm expecting this session to be a, um, a lively and uh, hopefully lighthearted discussion on what is actually a serious topic. So, um, yeah. Yeah, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Stefan. Yeah, hello. <laughs> hello. Uh, okay, hey, let's kick off with, um, I know you've got a new TV show that's just come out. Yeah. Tell us tell us about that and what you've been working on and um, why, why it excites you. Uh, yeah, well, kind of that, that, yes. In fact, just an hour ago, I was doing the voiceover for the last episode. <laughs> so that's, it's a, uh, and that's kind of, that's, that's it now it's kind of it's finally all done which is good um yeah no it was a really interesting show uh about scams and scammers and how prevalent they are um and how vigilant and careful we need to be and um do you know what it's like what are things that one of the big things is and i'm not saying this just just because i'm talking to you stefan but i would never invest money unless i could actually sit down with an actual human in an actual place I think New Zealanders have lost millions and millions of dollars through just through online investments. So we we uh, we talked to one of them, this guy Simon David, you know, and you've just got to Google Term Deposits New Zealand and you find these websites, you log in, or you, you send them your email details and this guy gives you a call and he sounds very convincing, but he's a total scammer. Um, so, yeah, big thing about that is um, this, you just – it's weird as the world's getting more sort of AI and technology and blah, 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 blah. Um, brick and tile and actual humans <laughs> that you actually know from an actual place that you've actually been to. Um, that stuff has just become more and more and more important. Okay. And Simon, did you, um, did you have, a, you, you spoke to Simon, did you? How did that go? Yeah. Ah, oh, just super well. Um, he, he was, he was very convincing. He's, I mean, he's either, He's, he's either probably worked in the in the banking sector or he's he's just been doing quite a lot of homework because he sounds very accomplished and he sounds very swish um, and it's a very sophisticated setup. One of the people that we spoke to who lost a hundred grand to this guy, um, there's even a website where you can log in and it will show you a fake dashboard of your money and the rates and what's going on. He's very good. He, he wasn't offering you know seventy percent interest. He was offering maybe a couple of points above kind of what most people are offering at the moment. So like it was enough to be good, but not too much so that you went, hang on, there's something wrong. He got snippy as we pushed him to, for verification details about his, uh, uh, you know, about who he was and where, and, and where he worked and stuff. Uh, and that's when, you know, that's when it was kind of crystal clear that this guy's not legit because no bank is ever going to get snippy with you because you're trying to verify that they are 
who they are. So yeah, uh, all around bad guy. He's probably taken millions of dollars from people here. And um, did you did you sort of uh, express how you felt about it? Yeah, well, he, he kind of hung up towards the end of it. And because as we started, he hung up. So we rang back and I left a message and I basically said, look, Simon, I don't know how you get out of bed in the morning and do the stuff that you do. I don't see how you can feel good about yourself. I'm sure your mum would feel really terrible if she knew what you're doing, unless your mum's a scammer, in which case she's probably super proud. But somewhere in your long lineage of mums, there's got to be a mum that would be disappointed in you all. And if you want to get a different job instead of stealing people's stuff, give me a ring and I'll talk through some different careers for you. But so far, he hasn't done that. Ah, Simon. Okay, hey, um, Simon isn't why we're here. Uh, We're talking about goals and retirement and purpose in life and the stuff that um, you've spent a lot of time thinking about. And uh, and I thought maybe we should, uh, given it's, I guess, a topic that has been traversed in the past by a wide range of people, um, maybe you could take us through sort of, you know, where we're at in uh, making sense of life and goals and purposes and um, and how you start thinking about that. Yeah, well, it's a strange thing. Right? We are um, we are kind of future-directed creatures, um, and, and, and research is kind of showing that more and more and more. But one of the things that we're not kind of good at is um, kind of taking that long-term view. We're not kind of good at stopping and thinking about those kind of far-distant horizons because we get sort of, for a couple of reasons, one, I think a lot of people just find that stuff is like... Ugh. Um, and it, it, often it feels too difficult um, and we're kind of not used to thinking and planning that far ahead so what we don't we all kind of act as if we're going to live forever you know not to get grim about it but we're not you know and so we all have a certain amount of time that we get to be here you know most of it about 17 point something billion years we weren't here for we get this little little bit in the middle most of the rest of it we're not going to see that either. And so it is, I think, really important to be um, kind of conscious about how you're spending your time and, and, and what you're doing here. And um, most of us, we do that old thing. We act like it's this infinite resource. So we waste it on stuff that isn't important to us. Um, and I kind of tend not to do that now. I did this, I, I, um, I'm quite careful about not doing stuff out of a sense of obligation. I always kind of say to people, look, don't ever do anything for me out of a sense of obligation. If you don't want to do it, just don't do it, you know? But I, So I'm, I'm much better at um, kind of not doing those things. And I used to do that thing that people would do, which is you meet people and they go, oh, we should, you know, have a coffee and talk about this thing. And I used to, you know, yeah, yeah, we should. Now I'm just kind of more direct. say, look, I'm probably not going to do that. And it, your project's great. And you're like, you're like a super nice guy. But I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm busy doing stuff. And, and and when I'm not busy doing stuff, I just want to spend it with, you know, kind of people in my family and doing do th- th- that kind of stuff. So, so I steer away from obligations, and I, I'm kind of I, I think it's it's important to be more intentional about kind of how you're spending your time and where you're going. And I'm going to take it from from all of that and the fact that you're here with me now that you really want to be here, and that um, that makes me feel good. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we were hanging out on the road, you know. We're like we were, you know, it's, we got this thing going. We got this thing going. Okay, so um, philosophers have yeah. um, thought about this a little bit. Yeah, take us, take us. You know, what are they thinking? And um, does that is it helpful um, for us 
in terms of what we are thinking now? Yeah, so the interesting thing is like we those big kind of questions about why are we here and where are we going, like lots of smart people have spent a lot of time thinking about that. And so we don't have to kind of go and reinvent the wheel. And, and it, you know, it kind of goes all the way back to, I mean, lots of cultures have thought about purpose and meaning and why we're here, but, you know, the Greeks had their thing. Uh, and then, you know, the, the Stoics, and Stoicism is kind of big again now, and it's, I think it's big again now because um, Stoicism is a really good kind of approach to a world which seems quite chaotic and uncertain um, because kind of one of the central tenets of Stoicism is this idea that almost everything in our, that happens to us we can't control, but the things that we can control are our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And so Stoicism is about just being more intentional on what we do with that kind of stuff. Um, so the, 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 the Stoic stuff, I think, is making a bit of a comeback. But there's been, you know, other stuff too. The, you know, the existentialists, they were just like, ah, there's no, we're just doing stuff. There's no real kind of point to it, but that's fine. And then the nihilists came along and they were like, ah, it's, it's terrible. It's just a big empty nothing and it's grim. And I'd like the absurdist, the French Camus, Albert Camus, who basically said, ah, it's all absurd, which is, and you could just see French philosophers doing that, just sitting in some cafe somewhere drinking coffee and talking about the absurdity of life. And then we sort of, we, we shifted out of, kind of philosophy and psychology have a lot in common because it's a lot about trying to understand who we are and how we do stuff. And so I think lots of those philosophical ideas are really useful, but that kind of led into the more kind of, you know, kind of research pragmatic stuff of the modern world. Um, and we now kind of, have a different understanding of kind of who we are and, and the stuff that motivates us. So we used to think that we were fundamentally kind of creatures of our past in the sense that, um, you know, we build our future out of the past, which is sort of true, but not completely true. And now what we know is that um, we are basically always thinking and projecting kind of forward into the future. So, you know, just, just as one example, memories, we've tended to think of memories in the past as just being, something that goes into a filing cabinet in your brain. So you, something happens, you put it in a filing cabinet, and uh, for whatever reason, you know, when you need it, you pull this memory back out, and here's this thing that happened, and now I'm going to think about what that means and go forward. And it turns out that's not what we do. What we do is memories come in, your brain basically splits it up into different bits, the kind of the what, where, and when stuff. Um, and uh, then when you need it, it, it sort of... It, goes and it takes those separate components and it puts them together, but it doesn't put them together perfectly, right? So we all know that memories aren't perfect. Um, and uh, it, so it uses that kind of part, it sort of metabolizes that past experience to try to figure out what to do next. And so that's when, you know, you, you, you're talking to someone and they swear something happened that it didn't. And so, you know, I met a woman at a motel once checking me in who was convinced we went to a Springboks game together. It's like, no, we didn't, because I've never been to a rugby game in my life. Like, I know that for a fact. Um, but she was absolutely convinced that it happened. Uh, and that, Maybe uh, your memory was wrong. Well, you know, I, I have wondered that. It's like, maybe I have been going to Springbok game for years and just not knowing. Maybe that explains those large blank periods of my life. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> you sort of wake up and you, what happened? Uh, but I know it's green common. and black. and Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So there's all that kind of, all of that sort of this idea that we're kind of, we're pushed um, out of our past. We're not really drawn into our future. Our thinking is always future focused. Emotions aren't just a reaction to what's happening to us now. Emotions are a way to kind of propel us forward into future decisions. And so if you take a, um, 
if you damage a part of a person's brain where emotions are formed, people, those people find it almost impossible to make a decision. And so even though we kind of think we make rational decisions, we sort of do, but emotions are part of that thing. And so, um, you know, people who are, suffer from anxiety and depression, one of the things that happen, it's not so much about the past stuff that people need to sort out. It's that for lots of different reasons, their brain is, is making predictions about the future that are quite grim or that are quite anxiety provoking. And so it's about trying to change the predictions that your brain is making. So we're always thinking about what to do next. That's why we can react to stuff so quickly. It's why um, sometimes you can just be doing nothing and you have this, you think, oh, that's, you, you have an idea about how to solve a problem. And um, that's because kind of when we're doing nothing, these strange parts of our brains just hum in the background. They start to power up and it's things about memory and self and purpose and meaning and all those sorts of things. Um, and that's why just kind of out of the blue sometimes you could come up with uh, an idea going, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could do that thing. It's because brains are brains are like chat GPT. They're always trying to predict what the next thing is. <laughs> and so uh, all of the time, our brains are taking in information and it's, it's, it's aware of the context that it's in. It's taking past experience and it's not recalling it perfectly, but it's kind of breaking it down into bits and finding out if there are any bits in that that are useful to help us figure out what to do next. And so after the absurdists, the, you know, things have moved on and people are, you know, by my understanding, is there's kind of a new school of thinking about understanding how we respond to the past and use that to the future. Can you take us through how that fits in? Yeah, so so about, um, I mean, for, for, for a long time, what psychologists did is we basically looked at misery and to help people. We went, right, you're miserable, let's, let's look at the misery of that. And so uh, people studied misery, things like anxiety and depression, and those things, and dug around in it and found out lots of different ways to describe it, um, and which is fine. And we learned some things. Um, but then this guy, Martin Seligman, who he kind of first became uh, kind of famous, I guess, because he came up with this idea of learned helplessness, this idea that, um, you know, if we have no control over the things that happen to us, we become depressed. But when he became head of the American Psychological Association, he... Um, kind of had this idea he thought you know what i've been studying misery for a long time and it's not it's not really getting us anywhere let's let's study happiness and everybody thought that he was mad they just thought what are you talking about that's a fluffy nonsensical thing to study um but he went no 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 it's a good idea it's like rather than looking at what goes wrong let's 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 look at people where things are going right like what are the things that people do that make life um kind of better and easier and so out of that came positive psychology which lots of people have heard about um and, and Seligman is now, you know, one of the most heavily financed researchers in the world. Um, and it's been a whole lot of stuff that is really useful in terms of, um, you know, the stuff that makes us kind of happy on a day-to-day -day basis. So not, not sort of happy in that bright and buzzy sort of artificially happy way, but happy in that sort of deeper sense of kind of contentment um, and well-being. And so... And even kind of Seligman's thinking has changed a little bit because now what they're thinking is um, they are looking at this basic thing of how humans make predictions about the future and how basically everything that we do is um, about metabolizing experience and metabolizing the moment and generating a generating a, a thing going forward. And so kind of what we know is that um, it, how we kind of... The, 
plans and strategies and visions, all that kind of stuff, that works because if, if you start thinking about that stuff, then you're navigating towards that. Not in that annoying, stupid way that that silly book, The Secret, that, you know, The Secret, and basically, if you want a Lamborghini, you've just got to ask the universe. And like, if you ask it really hard, the universe goes, yeah, all right, you can have a Lamborghini. And if you don't have one, it's because you just didn't ask. Like, that's all nonsense. Um, but the reason that people come up with strategies and plans is that orientates your thinking in a certain way. So we tend to, you know, we tend to go where we look. And so if you are struggling with anxiety and depression and you're making predictions about the future that are um, kind of driven by, uh, driven by anxiety and depression, then the future is grim. And that's why people kind of feel bad and so it is about being more purposeful about the stuff that we're navigating towards um and you know then and on top of that there's the fact that actually we're not very good at analyzing data and thinking about stuff like we think that we are but again there are there's a, a psychologist who spent their entire careers just proving that humans are not very good at analyzing data uh, and we're not very good at making some of those decisions and so um what we tend to do is we make decisions which aren't based on the data and the evidence. We make decisions that are based on kind of fears and biases and all those sorts of things. Um, and so, you know, if you look at what happens when people are making financial decisions about the future, if you orient people to the future and then ask them to make a financial decision between high and low risk, um, they'll take the low risk. And what seems to happen is even though we're generally optimistic about our future, once we start thinking about making financial decisions about the future, we start to see possible threats and worries and those sorts of things. And so people tend to go for the lower risk, um, the lower risk strategies. And that's, that's fine. <laughs> but actually, if you're a young person just starting out, um, then you've got a whole lot of time to be thinking about managing risk over time. And so you can be kind of adopting a higher risk um, strategy, which is the, you know, the, the, the income versus growth stuff. My, my son is just starting out work and he's um he's in a KiwiSaver scheme and I said to him, which one? He went, I don't know. I went, no, but I mean, but what he said, I think it's the safe one. I went, oh, you mean like the you mean like the 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 income like the the income one? He said, Yeah, the one without the not the the share market, not that jaggedy up and down one. He said, I don't like that one at all. And so I said to him, well, yeah, okay, fine, but the the safe one that's that's great, but like it doesn't not up and down, but it's a very flat line. So you're 23. When you go to 65, you're going to be here. The other one, even though it does a little bit of the jaggedy up and down stuff, um, it ends up in a quite a different place to this one. But it's it's just hard for him to wrap his head around the fact that um, you know those kind of mathematical concepts like you know the average. <laughs> it's just hard for people to wrap their heads around that stuff. And so he kind of feels more like this, the best bet for him is to stay in the safe plan, even though when he's 65, it's going to make a huge difference to him. And, and, and people do this stuff all the time. We we like the little up bits of the graph. We don't like the little down bits of the graph. And so um, that's where I think it's 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 difficult. It's difficult for humans to make really good decisions based on, the data because uh, even though we think we're good at that stuff we're just not it's all we need help well i guess what you're hitting on is exactly the world in which nz funds and the financial advisors um, we work with exist and and helping clients understand um 
you know, uh, what the right level of risk is for them, where to find the right balance and over what time frame and what levers they have to pull to achieve their goals. And so there's yeah. a whole bunch of really interesting um, questions that kind of come from that to make take the, make the most of uh, uh, someone's you know, assets to get them to their goal and also to make sure that they stay the course along the way. And there's a lot of psychology in there. But there, was, but there was something in there that I thought was really, really interesting. You talked about orientating yourself to a goal. Mm. Um, and what does it mean to you? Because for me, and I'm just speaking personally for a moment, you know, if I don't have a goal, I don't really know where I'm going at all. So, you know, goal setting, and um, even if you can't define it precisely, uh, certain it's like a magnet; it pulls you towards there. Well, pulls. I hope it pulls me towards there. Yeah. So, how do you how do you think about that? And is it the same for you? And and is it the same for other people? Yeah. So, I've always kind of taken the approach that I want to drive the bus, right? I don't want to be kind of a passenger and just let the world decide stuff for me. And so, there's a lot of things that are completely out of my control, but there are some things that are within my control. And so. Um, I've always been kind of thinking about kind of where am I now and where do I want to be kind of further on down and how do I do stuff to make to make that happen. Um, and so it's the, the interesting thing about goals um, and this again came out of kind of Seligman and a lot of the research that those guys have done. It's goals are and having a vision for the future is an interesting thing because there's some little catches in there. And so if you if if your goal is like I don't know. I want a super yacht, right? That's your goal. I want a huge yacht, and I want to park it down on the harbour there. And I never want to go on the sea. I just want to sit up in the back and read a book and have people walk past and go, "Man, that's a nice yacht." So if that's your goal, that's fine. But if all that you do is that you just imagine that goal, right? You sit on your couch, you go, "Ah, oh, there's a super yacht." Ah, oh, people are going to Um, that's a little bit of a trap. So you have to do more than just think about where you're going. Because if you just think about where you're going, what your brain does is it gets enough of a hit of the good chemicals just from imagining it. It doesn't want to kind of get up and do anything else. It feels like, oh, yeah, that was a good day. Did some imagining of the yacht. Uh, nice sunny day. I know what the upholstery is going to look like, all that kind of stuff. And you don't actually start doing stuff to work towards it. So there are kind of a, there are some things that you need to do over and above just I want that. Um, you have to do some kind of specific things around it so that you're more likely to get there. But the first thing is to have a plan. And, and what we know across all kinds of spheres, you know, financially and in terms of physical health, um, pretty much everything, if you have a plan, you tend to be better off further on down the track than people that don't have a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, you just go, oh, well, things will happen. And things will happen. Like, that's the nature of it. Stuff stuff, absolutely 100% is going to happen. Um, it's just that uh, it's less likely to be the things that you kind of want to have happen, uh, and you're less likely to end up at that particular place that you want to go because, you know, you don't have those little, those little steps along the way. And we all kind of know this, but it's one of those things that people go, yeah, yeah, I know that. Okay, but so what is your plan, you know? And, and, and when you think about this kind of stuff, it's about – what is your plan for life and, and, and what is it that you want to do? Because, I mean, fundamentally, money is about um, it's about kind of freedom and opportunities and those sorts of things. And so essentially kind of how people spend their money really reflects people's values and the things that are important to them. And I remember years ago, we made a, um, a few years ago, we made a show. And we talked about money personalities. And so different people want different things. Some people want security. Like that's the thing they value the most. And that makes them feel good. And so, what they do is they make a plan, and they uh, and they and they and they kind of build their 
build their wealth, build their life, so they have kind of security. For other people, money represents kind of freedom and opportunities. For some other people, it's about, um, you know, the, the social stuff and being able to kind of connect more with people. But what you do with your money kind of reflects your values. But what we have to do, I think, is to have a, a plan and just to be aware of how much time do I have? What are the things that are important to me in my life? And what is my plan for getting to those things? What, why do you think it is that people are so, they find it so difficult to put into concrete terms um, what is important to them and then build a plan from there? I, I, well, I think because for, we've got these Stone Age brains and for a long time, the plan was pretty simple. Just try not to get eaten. Try to have a, you know, try to have kids because by about like your late teens, early 20s, something's eating you. So the the notion that we would live for decades um and that we would have decades um, after we retire, um, that's a very new thing. And so our brains aren't naturally kind of fired up for doing that. Um, we do find it quite hard to think ahead about that, that kind of stuff. And there have been really interesting things about, you know, when you, you get people to put an old age filter on themselves, um, that they then 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 people go, oh, that's, yeah, that's, this is going to happen. We, we did this once for a... Um, a doco on retirement and so um i i spent about it's still online you can find it this nigel the old guy um three hours getting i make, have believe it or I not i know i know yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um one of my partner's uh, kids she thought that was an actual picture and he went man what happened to that guy like is he all right got to moisturize today <laughs> or something yeah yeah but you know like that's confronting right i looked at you look at that stuff and you go oh wow okay that's a thing <laughs> so even though i was thinking ahead about it it does you you got to have those little moments of just stepping back and looking what's important to me, what am I doing? And we all know it. We just don't often do it because it's like, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that next week. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is they're, they're busy and you're busy yeah. being busy. And yeah. it's, it feels like the world is getting busier um, with a lot of stuff going on. And so, and some of that, you know, so how do you, you know, it is a noisier world than it was, or at least I feel like it's a noisier and messier world than it, was maybe a decade ago is, yeah. is that just perception or is that reality in your mind and um are you how do you think people who are trying to you know plan for their futures should cut through all of that noise and um focus on what's important to them well in some ways i mean in some ways the world is quicker but in other ways it isn't like the sun still comes up and it still goes down and we have about you know it goes around the sun you know the the moon goes around the the earth goes around the moon as many times as it does but but I think that what's happened, particularly in the last few years, is that, you know, because as we've come out of COVID and the pandemic and all that kind of stuff, everybody's kind of nervous systems have had a thoroughly good ratcheting up through all of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> and we've kind of come out into a series of events. It just seems like a relentless kind of series of events that people are dealing with. Um, and it, it does feel like there's a lot more pressure on people. And so yeah, I do lots of the stuff. You go around the place talking to lots of different people in lots of different industries. Everyone is struggling with the stuff. People feel more bored, burdened, feel more stressed. They're kind of busier trying to make ends meet, trying to get stuff done. Um, you know, all within this great hovering uncertainty. You know, if you live in Auckland, if it rained, it just used to be rain. And now it rains and you get rain stress. And so th I think there is a whole bunch of stuff that is... Um, that are making people feel kind of more pressured. Um, you know, just in the last few months, you've got AI starts rolling out through the world, and it's probably the single biggest thing that I can think of for quite some time um, that has made people think, oh, you know, here's a thing. This could be, 
don't know what this means. Um, and so I think there's a lot there's a lot happening that people kind of have to get their heads around. Um, and it is difficult to kind of make time in the middle of all of that for that um, important but not urgent stuff. You know, that Stephen Covey is because it's good stuff, right? It's like there's important, but it's not urgent. And so because we're humans, we just focus on the urgent stuff and we don't put time aside to think. It's really good to have time literally to do nothing, like just to stare off, I don't know, into the trees or the clouds or whatever um, and just coast for a bit. I literally have left jobs because I just got so busy doing things, I didn't have time just to sit and ponder and let your mind kind of roam. And and those are the moments when you kind of tend to have those kind of bigger ideas. It's that breakthrough stuff that I was talking about before. So so you kind of have to prioritize um, just pondering kind of the meaning of life from time to time, because that's where you stop thinking about emails and phone calls and this and that and the other. And you, and you step back and you go, you know, I, I need to... I need to actually think about what I'm doing. You know, like I'm, I'm 56. <laughs> so it, that happens and you go, okay, you know, like I got, now there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, everyone has a time and it, I, I, I need to be, you know, even more clear and even more intentional about what I'm doing with my time. Coaches and um, support and help from other people to, you know, financially, um, on the one hand, you've got financial advice, of course, but in other domains as well fitness and so forth, how do you think about them and the value they can deliver to orientate people towards achieving things? Yeah, I th well, I think that, I think there's a lot of, in the world, Jen, there's a lot of people doing coaching stuff and some of it is just annoying. <laughs> you know, it's of little worth at all. But the value of a good coach, the value of a good mentor is enormous, right? No one does anything by themselves. Everything is a kind of a team-based pursuit. And so having a team of people that you are um, talking about the stuff that's important to you and goal setting and steps, all of that stuff is really important. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the things I've seen again and again and again and again throughout kind of my life, but also the, the you know, organizations that you work with, all that kind of stuff. When you have a good team of people, things just go better. And so the value, I think, of a, of a skilled and experienced advisor is that they can really help you to focus and stay on the path. You know, you don't want fluffy stuff. You want people with a degree of expertise and you want people with knowledge um, and you want people who are going to, you know, kind of challenge you and push you around your thinking, kind of hold you to the stuff that's important for you. And so um, I, I have always found that, um, some skilled advisor or a skilled coach, you just you just kind of need that stuff. Like I've kind of always, I always have people in my life who who play that role um, in in lots of different spheres. You know, whether that be um, in the kind of personal stuff or kind of business stuff or project stuff, you, you just you, that that stuff is just invaluable. You you've mentioned time and the importance of it um, and being cognizant of it um, a few times, uh, and you also mentioned that you've uh, turned fifty six. And uh, um, when we were um, on the road, uh, one of my favorite discussion points was you um, exploring what that meant for your future and how much time you had available for the things you wanted to do. Yeah. Do you want to take us through um, where you got to yeah. and the process you went through? Because for me, that was a particularly eye-opening experience. Yeah, like a few years ago, I got asked to do a talk on time management, which literally is the most boring thing to talk about ever. 
And I don't know anything about time management because I'm terrible at it. Basically, what I do is I muck about until the thing um, is so close that I get a physical feeling of fear that I may not be able to complete it in a certain amount of time. So I don't know if I don't work under pressure because I only work under pressure. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I, I seem like an odd choice to talk about time management. And so I thought, okay. And I said that to them. I said, no, nah, come along anyway. So I thought, okay. So then I thought, all right, I, I, how much time have I got? I thought, because if we're talking about time, we should think about time as a finite resource. And so I sat down one night with a little Excel spreadsheet and I Googled the average lifespan um, of, a, of a New Zealand male. And I went, right, I put that in. And I think it was about 80 point something years at that point. Um, and it was a couple of years ago. But at that point, I had something like 30, I got 30 years left to get the average. I thought, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's okay. Like, it's three decades. There's a lot of stuff. But then I thought, I, but like, I, I can't just do whatever. Like there are some things I have to do. So I started taking off time, like, um, you know, kind of eating, uh, sleeping, cleaning the house, um, looking for your phone. Like I actually calculated how much time I spent each week looking for my phone, which was a lot. I calculated how much time I spent trying to connect up the Wi-Fi because, you know, the kids go, the Wi-Fi is not working. Have you restarted the router? No. Okay. <laughs> so I... Wait 30 seconds. I know, all that kind of stuff. And by the time you take out kind of cleaning and shopping and all that kind of stuff, um, I got down to about, I don't know, about two years left. And I thought, that's pretty good. And then I thought, oh, I haven't taken out work. Huh. So then I took out work and it was like minus one point something years. Like, I thought that can't be right. Um, And so then I thought, well, actually, that's an amusing little thing. But at one level, it's actually true. And the only, when I, and I actually genuinely looked at that little spreadsheet of things I was spending time on. Um, and the only thing that I thought I could claw back time on was basically just bollocks and obligation stuff. The stuff that you do that you don't care about, that's not important to you, that you do a sense of obligation. So that that was the thing that kind of really sharpened me up on thinking about um, how, you you know, doing things because I want to do them versus I just feel like I should. Um and at the end of that, I got left with something like 17 weeks between kind of that point and when I died to do whatever I want. And it's not ever, you know, it's not ever a 17 week block because, you know, that's that 17 weeks is spread out through all of those other things. But it did make me think that there is a, um, yeah, like there is a finite, there's a number and we all have one um, and we act like it's not going down, but it is all the time. And so we need to think about kind of where we are in our in, their, in our little spreadsheet um, and the stuff that we're doing and what's important to us. And so I do think it's important, um, you know, to be to be really clear about that and to not do stuff out of a sense of obligation. And I mean, we all have to do some stuff out of a sense of obligation. Like you can't you can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want. But there are some things that you can go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do it because it's not important to me. So I'm not going to do it. I'm going to spend that on things that are important to me, which is like time with my partner, time with my kids, or those sorts of things. So you're not mowing the lawns anymore, I take it? I don't um, do Like the outside, I don't like the outside. I I mean, it's fine. It's out there now. It, I don't know. Like, it seems good. I'd actually, I'd, if I'd love to live in an apartment because I, we basically do. We, I mean, we, we, we live in a house with a deck <laughs> and there's a garden. We never go out in it. Like, a guy comes and he mows it and the dogs go out there, but... I don't know what's going on. It's nice. I've got nothing against it. I just don't want to have to waste time on it. And I know that for some people, gardening and mowing the lawn is stuff that they enjoy, right? They like it. It brings them joy. That is great. And that's that's good. Like, 
I'm not saying my version of what's good, then we should do that. But I think you do need to think about what are the things that are important to me. And so for me, you know, spending hours in the, in the, in the, it make economically more sense for me to spend time in the garden, I guess. Um, but then there are other things I can do with my time that I think are going to be, A, be better for me personally and pay off better in terms of the time that I'm investing in the output they get of it, not, not mowing the lawn or the hedges. Yeah. Um, a lot of people waste a lot of time on social media. And, um, and I, I, I've, I mean, I've heard you speak. Um, you have some views about the benefits to the society of social media. Um, none. How, how, where, where are you at in your thinking there? Is, uh, none? Yeah, none. I mean, I don't, it's just a, it's a silly thing. I, um, it's, I think there's a, there's, I mean, there's a couple of things really. Often what we do is we use it as a, an opportunity to present our best lives to people. Uh, and there are those just super annoying people that just show this amazing doctored view of their life, which is completely false. Basically, I think the kind of the rule of thumb is the more someone has to work to show how amazing their life is on social media, probably the more stuff they have going on. Do you know what I mean? It's like I would, I would like to spend a year I'm just taking pictures of the average boring everyday crap of life. You know, the, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm working, I've just gone up to the house to make a coffee, and here's the empty milk bottle that someone put back in the fridge, and now I have to go to the thing and get milk. Or I'm, you're a prominent individual in New Zealand. You could do this and at least yeah. have some people following you for a period. Yeah, no, I mean, I know I could, I'm, but again, I'm just like, it's an idea that I'm just, I kind of almost don't care about. It's like, I like the idea of it, but not enough to actually do it because it, when it comes to it, I think, yeah, like, why, why am I even doing that? Like, it is, how is it a good use of this minute of my life that I'm never going to get back to post the stuff? I, I, I kind of use Instagram a bit and mostly I use it when I'm, if I go traveling with my son, I put pictures in there and I always feel a bit weird about that too, but it's the one place I found that actually for me, I could go back and find those photos rather than other stuff. Um, but I remember years ago, a couple of years ago, getting into this Twitter off with Simon Bridges about something, I don't know. And it went on for about two or three days. Um, and then my partner just said, what are you doing? And I went, oh yeah, I've become that idiot on Twitter, just yelling backwards and forwards with someone else. Like what a pointless waste of time that is. So um, I just kind of don't do any of that stuff. And another thing you should think about, people always put, oh, happy birthday, happy 21st, my darling son. Um, that's all a scammer needs. To t they've got your kid's name. They've got the date of birth. They've got some information from their Facebook profile. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff they can go off and do. So think very carefully um, about how much information you put up on social media. Okay. Um, a lot of people use social media to kind of, as you said, project their kind of their perfect self, yeah. uh, but it also does a bit of harm. Yeah. Um, uh, how do you kind of, how do you pull people away from that? Or is it, you know, or, or when, when you're, you know, trying to orientate them towards, I guess, pursuing something that's of broader meaning? I think it is, again, it's about, it's about, you know, like at different times we all look at that stuff, but it is about from time to time stopping and thinking like, how much how much time is this really worth my time? You, you, when you're in that, you get into those Facebook, blah, 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 and someone goes, blah, 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 and you go, blah, 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 and you're going backwards and forwards. Nothing nothing good comes from that. No, I, I, I'm not sure if it's ever happened that anyone's been, yeah, that's a really rational and good point, and I'm going to change my worldview on the basis of that, we basically just kind of yell stuff backwards and forwards. Like, it's a great way to communicate um, with, you know, in those smaller groups of when it's your family stuff, it's a great way to do that stuff and share and all that kind of stuff. It's the, it's the really public stuff. It's the, 
you know, people who spend their lives trying to be influencers on Instagram and get, you're not influencing kind of anyone. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's ultimately, I think a lot of that stuff is just hollow and empty um, and unimportant. I mean, I think the closest I've come is kind of LinkedIn, which is, which is much more like social media for grown-ups and people are respectful and they say interesting things. Um, but most of the rest of it is just a nonsense. It's just people bragging about their kids. And no one wants to see you brag about your kids. No one ever wants to read anyone else's bragging about your kids. You just don't. No one wants to. People go, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's amazing that little Jimmy got first in the trumpet competition. Like, little Jimmy's grandma wants to know, even his aunts and uncles, they probably don't want to know, but grandmas and granddads, they certainly do. The rest of the world, they don't care. So those people that are constantly putting this on, here's my amazing family. Um, it's it's just it's not useful and it doesn't help anyone and and I I also think you have to be really careful about the stuff you're putting up about the, your kids because you're making decisions about putting their pictures and their stuff up there on the internet um, and that's not great I've always been really careful about doing all of that because um, I just figure that's a decision for them to make later in life I don't want to I don't want to put that stuff up there for them. Okay, back um, back to retirement and thinking about how we prepare ourselves. So we've canvassed, I guess, we've talked about the importance of time and time management and thinking about, you know, um, working out what it is that's uh, of, of value to each individually. The importance of, you know, putting a plan in place and the, getting help around you. And um, whether it's an advisor or, or some other person who's able to guide you and support you and, um, you know, sticking to your plan or staying the course or whatever it happens to be. Um, and then and then there's uh, this kind of challenge along the way, which we all come up against is sort of a resilience question yep. and staying that course. And you mentioned earlier that people, you know, there's rain anxiety, as I think it's called. Or um, what, what are the, when you think about, you know, resilience generally it's got a hot word at the moment but what what do you think about that when it comes to putting in place something for the future and you know building from there and then overcoming the setbacks as 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 they come yeah i mean i think it's i mean it's the basic stuff about you know you, you try to eat as good as you can and sleep and all those things and exercise but i hate it when people say well, you should just exercise more because I just think, yeah, I'm probably not going to. Um, for me, it's about doing so. Like for me personally, I, I just do some really simple stuff. Um, and uh, I kind of borrow one of the big things of stoicism, which is just kind of focusing on the things that you can control. Um, and that would probably be like if, if I had one go-to strategy that I use the most in my life, that's my kind of single go-to thing. And so at that point, when everything goes wrong um, or when everything feels completely overwhelming, um, or you're just kind of going down the gurgler, it's it's fine to go down the gurgler and you let yourself do that a little bit, and it's like we all have feelings and that's okay. Um, but at some point, you kind of, you have to think, okay, now what am I going to do? You know, things have gone wrong or this terrible thing is happening. What am I going to do? And so you have to think about something. You're going to think about something. You're going to do something. Um, what the Stoics were about is um, just focusing on the things that you can control and the stuff that you can control are your thoughts your feelings and your actions. And so often when stuff happens and it feels like you just think, oh my goodness, <laughs> I, you have your moment, you go, okay, what's the stuff I can control right now? Well, I don't know what to do about this big mess that's just happened. I'm going to just put this down for a second. 
I'm just going to have a breath. I'm going to go and make myself a coffee. I'm going to sit at the back for a couple of minutes and then I'm going to go back into this thing. Or I'm just going to do this one email or this is too hard right now. I'm just going to focus on doing this thing so I have a sense of achievement. One of the, you know, one of the things that we do know kind of makes people happy. Um, Sullivan talks about this thing called PERMA. So it's about feeling positive emotions. Um, and so that's things like, you know, kind of gratitude um, and kind of love, those sorts of things. So being grateful for the things in our life. Um, the, the, the E of PERMA is about engagement. So doing things that kind of flow state, doing things that you enjoy. Um, the R is obviously the relationships because they're really important to us. So spending time with people that we care about and having those kind of relationships. Um, and the, 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 the M is meaning having meaning and purpose in life and a is that sense of achievement so it's you know positive positive uh positive emotions a sense of kind of engagement and flow relationships meaning and achievement and so it's when things all get too much it's about just pausing taking a breath and thinking okay all right what are the things that i can control okay i can't control any of that i can control what i'm breathing what i'm thinking what i'm doing i can i can control how i am with the people around me um, in this moment, I can um, I can I can control my actions and how I talk to people. I can control that kind of stuff. And and when you do that, what you're doing is you're just focusing your resources on things that actually you can make a meaningful difference in. The recession that's not something that I can do anything about. I could watch the read all sorts of economists talking about what that may or may not mean. It's not going to. I, there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm not saying you don't be informed about the world at all. But there is a difference between being informed about the world and knowing what's going on and just losing yourself in a great murky pool um, of all of that stuff. And so I kind of don't do that um, when, th when bad stuff happens. Like, I, you know, I have an awareness of what's happening in the world, but I don't dwell on it and swim about in it. I haven't watched the news for years because I've never watched the news and felt better about the world. Um, so, yeah, I tend to think, right, what can I actually control? And I need to focus on that. And it's one of those really simple ideas that we all know. It's a simple idea. Focus on the things that you can control. Lots of um, companies kind of talk about that in terms of their, how we do things and all that kind of stuff. But it takes attention and takes practice to do it. It's easy to just get pulled off into things and just kind of react to it and get dragged along and feel down about stuff. It does take intention and practice to go, okay, I'm just going to step back a little bit. That plan that I had, it seems to have all fallen over. I'm going to take a little breath and I'm going to think about what to do next. And sometimes it's nothing, right? Sometimes yeah. the plan is right and you just need to let the world correct itself and other times um, it is you need to take steps. Yeah. The per the, I really like the, um, I mean, it's on the one hand, it's, it's sort of a bit cheesy and, uh, and I, I can't but acknowledge that. But on the other hand, I really like it because um, it sets out a bit of a framework and, um, and you can use it to... You know, when you're thinking about something that, you know, something, a setback that you're trying to overcome, but you can also flip it over and use it to think about what you want to achieve. What, when am I, yeah. you know, uh, 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 what are the things that make me um, in, in flow, as you said? Um, what are the relationships that are important to me? And if you learn how to articulate all of those bits, or ele those elements that can, you know, help in the context of, say, retirement planning even, you can go, well, these are the things that I want to spend more time doing rather than avoiding yeah and for me it's what it's about is i'm kind of an evidence-based guy right because if, I, if, if i'm going to do something i want to know that that if i do this stuff it'll actually make a meaningful difference and what i like about yeah. seligman stuff is there's 20 30 years of there's a ton of research behind that stuff it's not just some dude on youtube goes yeah you should do this thing 
It's not a, it's not an Instagram influencer saying, Hey, you should just do this. Um, it comes out of a really large body of empirical research. And it's not like if you just do those things, it's this instant fix and everything's amazing. But if you do those things on a consistent basis, you are more likely to feel content and happier in your life. And yes, there's all sorts of stressful things that are going on and could go wrong. But if you can't do any of those things, then what you can do is you can think about in the moment when things are terrible, okay, what positive emotions can I have right now? I can feel grateful about the fact that, uh, you know, I have uh, about my partner and my kids and those relationships. I can feel grateful that I get to do this kind of stuff. Um, like there are things, there are, there, there are always moments where you can pause and you can think, okay, what can I actually do? And for me, I, I just want to do the stuff that someone's figured out works. If it's just your, if it's just what you think, fine, but just tell me that. If it's just your idea, that's fine. And if it seems right, I might try it. But I'm far more interested in, in, in the Seligman stuff because it's like, oh, well, that, like he's looked at it with a lot of people. Now I know that if I do this, I know that if I, if every night um, I sit down and I think, uh, and if this is a, like if people are kind of in that, um, just beginning to struggle with mental health stuff, this won't help you if you're like really struggling with mental health. But if you're in that initial stages of just starting to not feel great, if, if, if each night you think, okay, what are three things that I can feel grateful for at the end of tomorrow? You just think about those things. Um, then if you do that over a, about three to four weeks, um, then there is a measurable change in people's well-being. So this stuff actually, it's simple and it, and it, and it works. And, and that's why I kind of like it too. It's like it's a framework and there are simple things that you can do. And do you, you employ these in your life? Yeah, so like I don't kind of like I, I've certainly um, with kids and stuff, I've talked about the gratitude stuff. And I what I try, I don't kind of do it in that structure. Where like, oh, now I must sit down and do these three things because like I'm just not going to do that. But I do I do try to spend time thinking about stuff that I should be grateful for in my life, particularly when it feels all starting to feel bad. I think, well, hang on, let's just pause a little bit. What are some things in your life you actually can feel grateful about? Um, because brains are tricky things and they do go where you look. And if you look for what's wrong and the things are terrible and how life is awful, you'll find those things. And if you look for um, the other things, if you look for what have I got that I can be grateful for, um, then it, it's better. And I have to say, I've spoken to a lot of people over my life and, and the people who are more content are people who um, are grateful for stuff. And they're by no means the wealthiest people. They're people who are grateful for relationships uh, and the things that they're kind of doing in their life. And it's not necessarily about the material stuff. It's about, um, yeah, gratitude for people and relationships and achievements and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, how do you think about humans' capacity to think of, you know, to work in the different time frames? So long-term, we find in our domain, long-term decision-making is significantly harder than, you know, what's immediately in front of you. Yeah. Why is that? And... You know, how do, how, do, how do we overcome that? I think it really is because we're still using Stone Age brains. Like we are using a brain that's about 200,000 years old. It's, it's, and it hasn't changed pretty much. In that, I mean, at least in 100,000 years, it hasn't changed. We are certainly using the same brain that people who, you know, lived in caves, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 years ago. That's, it's the same thing. So we've taken this blob. It's a pretty amazing blob. Um, and we have, we've just used it really well. Like we've honed it um, and we've practiced it and we've worked out ways to pass that learning on down. And so we are using a really, really old brain 
to try and get to grips with really complicated things, like really complicated things. And we still have all sorts of biases. We have a bias built in our brains to see faces. So that's why if you look at a kid's drawing of a house, window, window, door, kind of looks like a face. Sometimes you'll get cloud, you think, oh, it looks a bit like a face. And that's because for most of human history, if you looked at something and there was a possibility there was a face in there somewhere, the face was coming to eat you. Like it was a thing in the jungle that was going to leap out and eat you. So it made sense to go, face, run. So we even have, the, we have these really basic kind of biases built in. Um, so when we're asking our brains to do really sophisticated, really complex things like plan for retirement, think about what will be happening 30 years from now, think about interest rates and graphs and returns on investment, all that kind of stuff. These are really abstract and complicated things. Um, and so that's why I think that stuff is quite difficult. And, and, and no matter what we all might like to think about ourselves, like brains, we just, we just want to avoid friction. Stuff that's difficult, we're just less likely to do it. And things that's, that are easy, we're more likely to do that stuff. And that's, again, Stone Age brains. Friction means your brain has to work that consumes energy. And we're kind of programmed to try and save energy. So that's why we make assumptions and all that kind of stuff, because it just saves energy. Um, so it does take intention and focus and energy to sit down and think, okay, what is the long-term picture? Where am I going? What's important to me? And how am I going to get there? And you could do that next week. But what happens is we just keep going next week and next week and next week and next week. Or we make a plan and we don't revisit it and we don't think about it. Um, it is it, it is really about we're just not made to think long term. We don't do it naturally. And so we do need to be um, intentional about it. And we do need to kind of have a plan and revisit. And that is where I think coaching and advisors can be really useful because they can be a way to sort of hold you to a path or ask those questions um, because they're outside of you. <laughs> that's the, that's, the, that's, that's right. the best thing about them. A degree of objectivity and also, I yeah. guess, partic I mean, obviously I'm more familiar with the financial space, but um, the, there's a lot of energy and research has gone into ensuring the right questions are asked yeah. and the information is processed in the right way to overcome those biases. Yeah. And, um, you know, in markets, for example, there's a whole range of biases that everyone's alive to, that they exist, whether you can actually um, overcome them as a human is a, is a whole different challenge. But, um, and, you know, we have at NZ Funds, we've written about it quite a few times about how, sure. how, we try as, how we try to overcome that. And your job and my job is the same thing, right? And so it's what it's about is you, your job is to help people with something in their lives and to think about what to do. And, and the approach is the same. You, you want to do that based on some evidence and you want to do that Absolutely. in a way that's ethical and you want to do that in a way that follows principles where the principles are clear to people um, so that you can actually make a meaningful difference in people's lives. And so fundamentally, you know, kind of what I did in the clinical stuff and what you all do, it's the same. It's, ex it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, which is a beautiful moment to end our call on, Nigel. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been lots of fun. The road trip was heaps of fun too. Um, so on behalf of uh, everyone at NZ Funds and um, and everyone who participated in those sessions, uh, you know, thank you for joining us. And um, yeah, no, thanks, Tim. Uh, all the best. It was it was good fun. It was it was jolly good fun. Cool. Okay. Take care. This has been The Monday Call, brought to you by NZ Funds.
New Zealand Funds Management Limited is the issuer of the NZ Funds KiwiSaver Scheme, the NZ Funds Managed Superannuation Service, the NZ Funds Advised Portfolio Service, the NZ Funds Wealth Builder, and NZ Funds Income Generator. A product disclosure statement for each is available at nzfunds.co.nz. Past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future returns.